How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And today, we're going to be continuing on where we left off in the Gospel of Matthew, and we are up to chapter 12. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. And again, we're going to be using the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study which are interpretation, application, and demonstration. That's the what, the how, and the why of Scripture. What it specifically says, the narrative of the text, uh, the interpretation of the Scriptures, just flat out the literal face value. What is it saying? What's being said? What's going on? We understand that there's only one interpretation of the Word of God. What it says is what it means. And then we back up, go again through it slowly, taking a look at the how. How is it specifically being said? The specific words and the pictures and the images, doing the word study, seeing the meanings of the words, and how I compare uh, uh, what I'm reading with the rest of the Word of God, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, as says the prophet. And we, we see the the how is now the studying the the what is just the reading reading the the base narrative uh, reading the context and then we see reading and studying the word of god is the how and then we see demonstration living the word of god we then apply it to ourselves to go live it speak it think it do it so the what the how the why interpretation application demonstration the three points and we follow this as the berean method the Berean method of studying the Word of God. And then we also see there is the clear interprets the unclear. Um, again, this is another study principle that helps people in uh, when they're doing their, their reading, doing their studying, as they come across other passages of Scripture that they may find kind of confusing. Uh, these passages, when read all alone by themselves, not paired with the rest of the Word of God, can kind of give a, a seeming almost contradiction to some uh, uh, other preconceived ideas. And so how can we understand these? Again, using our uh, regular example of this is James chapter 2, faith that works is dead. What does that mean? Because see over in, in Ephesians, that uh, where salvation is by grace through faith and not works. And what's James talking about? Well, when you compare what it says clearly in the rest of the word of God regarding salvation being by grace through faith, not of works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law. James is not talking about salvation because God's not going to contradict himself. And there are multiple ways of salvation. There isn't a gospel for the Jews and a gospel for the Gentiles. That's nonsense. It's one way, one truth, one life, one, one salvation message, one gospel, one cross, and it's by grace. And James is not talking about salvation because clearly the rest of the word of God contradicts that. So the clear interprets the unclear. And using these methods, we're going to continue on our study, taking a look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. And like I shared in the comments here, just some praise items. Uh, I was just really excited to see this yesterday. Um, every once in a while, I'll check the analytics of our different platforms and see uh, our reach effectiveness and uh, regarding our podcasts, uh, where we just take the audio of our uh, of our videos here, we take the audio and upload it for people who may not be able to watch it or whatever. It's easier just to listen in. 
we so far our podcasts have reached over 40,300 people. Um, I'm quite blown away by that. Um, uh, but uh, that's nothing when compared to our YouTube channel. Our Christian Coffee Time YouTube channel has reached over 3 million people. And I'm just blown away by that. Uh, with that, we have managed to reach over three million people with the gospel, uh, with uh, the preaching of the word of God. So please keep praying that uh, we can reach that much more. Um, be praying that our community here would be able to grow. People, more people would subscribe and follow along and join in us in, in this in uh, spreading the words, uh, spreading all this. And uh, please keep praying, and we could see more souls saved. So there's some great news. All right. So, grab your Bibles. Grab your notepads and pens. Grab your tea, grab your coffee. Time to study the Word of God. Matthew chapter 12. So, okay, so we see uh, Jesus <clears throat> wrapping up his message. One second. Wrapping up his message in uh, chapter 11. And uh, talking about, uh, in verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What, one of the most blessed things the Lord talks about regarding the simplicity of the faith, that, uh, that there's no weight upon the yoke that we take of Christ. As this, this yoke that is meant for carrying weights and burdens, it's placed upon our shoulders, but there's no weight to it. There's no weights because he's taken the weight. He's taken all the ownership. It's all of him. My yoke is easy. My burden is light because there's nothing that we have to carry because salvation is all of him, none of us. So you see the application there. So this beautiful, beautiful uh, promise by Christ, this declaration by Christ of the simplicity of the faith, he finishes up this message and we see in chapter 12 verse 1 jesus and his disciples wrap up what they're doing and they start leaving and as it says at the time at that time jesus went on the sabbath day through the corn so this is the sabbath day the jewish day of worship the jewish day of rest and now as it says they went through the corn now is this a corn as we know corn like corn on the cob it's interesting well actually when you take a look at this you do a study and you go down and his disciples were in hunger and began to pluck the ears of corn is this like they were grabbed corn cobs no actually if you do a study on this the word corn means grain of wheat it means grain so it's the it's the corn of wheat as the the as what is what the, the bible's talking about here now i've actually done this it's quite interesting uh, when you go near a wheat field and only as far as I know, it only really works with wheat is uh, is you, you take one of the stock of wheat and you grab the, the kernels off of it. You rub it in your hand and it breaks all the shells off and you blow away all the, the shells and the actual kernels of wheat are left in your hand. And as it says here. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were in hunger. Now, back then, there wasn't really a restaurant or McDonald's or Tim Hortons, a coffee shop or sandwich shop on every single corner. 
so it would take quite a while to get somewhere you could actually get food if you were hungry. So they were quite hungry. And uh, so what they began to do is pluck ears of corn. They would, like one stalk of wheat, they would take the kernels off and they'd just do just that. And it says, um, and uh, began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. So this is the what you would do. You crush the shells off, you blow away the shells, you left with the actual wheat kernels, pop them in, and you just start chewing it. Chew, 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 chew. And what's really weird is the wheat kernels turn into a gum, a gum paste. And it's literally like chewing gum. And <laughs> that's what they were doing. It's just really, really interesting. Now, there says they began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. Now, you note, this was on the Sabbath day. Now, why, why am I emphasizing that? Because look at verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it. Oh, no. What are you doing? It's work. All right. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. You know, I, I'm sorry if some people have a problem with this, but I I cannot stay serious when it comes to any form of pharisaical nonsense, any kind of legalistic nonsense, I can't stay serious. It 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 is the stupidest thing when people get all up in arms and all twisted around backwards regarding regarding their pharisaical views and all this stuff and the the hyper restrictive controlling commandment law based uh, uh, ideologies. It's just nonsense. It's just, it's just nonsense. Now, when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, thy but behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Okay, what's not so lawful about this? Because to them, this is work. And not, and not just this, but they're doing this with unwashing hands. They were working at getting the wheat kernels with unwashing hands and they're eating this and like they're defiling and profaning the sabbath now oh i'm such a good person thank you lord because i don't sin like these other people says the pharisee and the publican says forgive me father i'm a sinner who needs your grace and mercy you know, but I don't do that. I'm uh, better. I'm more holy. But look at me. Look what I've achieved. Now, you see what Jesus says in response. It is, it is quite interesting. Verse 3, Jesus says, Have ye not read? Have ye not read? And then again, verse 5, Have ye not read? You know, these individuals tout themselves to be special, high, religious, powerful, all this. But he goes to show their sheer ignorance. Pharisee, Phariseeism and legalism is religious ignorance. Because you clearly don't understand grace. You clearly don't understand mercy. You clearly don't understand liberty in Christ. You clearly don't understand we're no longer under the law but under grace. Now let's take a look at what Jesus says. 
But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was hungered, and they that were with him? How that he entered into the house of God, and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Now, some of you might remember this passage. This is First Samuel chapter 21, where King David is... Not King David, but David is running from Saul, and he and his men are escaping. They come to uh, this one uh, ta uh, temple in Nod. Is it in Nod? Ahimelech, I believe it is. Ahimelech uh, that was the priest in this place. And this is where also they were storing the sword of Goliath of Gath. This is where David also got that sword. But they were getting there and they had no food. And they were starving. And the only food that was in the place was the showbread, which is only for the priests. And we see as, as it goes that uh, he uh, begged of, of the priests there and they wound up giving David the showbread there. Why didn't God judge David? Why wasn't David condemned for that? Why wasn't he judged for that? It's only for the priests. Well, that's because, keep reading, verse 5, Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Read that again. Verse 5, Matthew 12, verse 5, Have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Verse 6, But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Now let's take a look at this. Now, one is greater than the temple. One is greater than the temple. Is Was David, in the eyes of God, more important than the loaves of bread? Is one soul more important than things? In the eyes of God, are people more important than rituals? And also, as we see as well, the Lord talks about, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Mercy. God cares more about mercy, cares more about grace. He cares more about the attitude of the heart. And as you see as well, as David uh, taking the showbread, no different than the disciples gleaning wheat on the Sabbath. They're taking some of the wheat to chew on because they were hungry, they were starving, and they, and they needed something to eat. And we see the grace of God there. But the Pharisees, but when the Pharisees saw it, now is also in the very words here. The view by which many look at other people. The Pharisees saw it. How do you look at other people? How do you look at what other people are doing? The Pharisees saw it. You see, Jesus says to judge not after the appearance Judge not after the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. 
Judging after the appearance is judging by our own personal perception of how we see it, how we hear it, how we experience it, according to our feelings, our emotions, our opinions, all the rest. Now, when the Pharisees saw it, they, they saw and were looking through the lens of their own personal religiosity, of their own traditionalism, their denominationalism, through the lens of what they think they feel according to their traditions. And as Jesus says, he teaches for doctrines the traditions of men. So, well, well, I don't think that what they were doing was right. Well, I feel just that. Well, I don't think that. Well, I believe God would. You always hear the Pharisee when they start off their sentence, start off their explanation with, well, I. I always try to get into the habit of whenever I hear someone do that. And I always try to make sure I catch myself that I always clarify as it's my personal um, feelings on the matter. I always try to clarify as much as possible. And whenever I hear someone else do that, I always try to correct them. And I always say, but, 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 what does the Bible say? Whenever I hear someone say, well, I think, I feel, I believe, well, I, but I, but I think, I always try to correct them. But what does the Bible say? And the Pharisees saw it. Behold, well, I feel that thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. That's more of what in line in the interpretation of what they were saying. Well, according to our uh, special uh, priestly order, according to our order, according to our traditions. And the Lord shoots that down. And the Lord shoots that down. Verse 5, have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests of the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Okay, just hold up a minute. Now, to confess this, I actually had to look this one up a while ago because I just couldn't quite wrap my mind around exactly what, what and how this is going about. How are the priests profaning the Sabbath? And I was quite taken aback by this. I was quite amazed at this. It, it's so obvious. So clearly obvious. What is Jesus meaning in verse 5? The priests profane the Sabbath. How? How? Well, what, what, do, what do the commandments say regarding the Sabbath day to, to keep it holy? No work. No work. It's supposed to be a day of rest. No work. What are the what are the priests doing? Working. How? Cleaning the temple, getting all the things together, the the and the sacrifices. They're taking the animals. They're uh, butchering up the animals for the sacrifices, burning the animals, cleaning out the ashes, washing, uh, sacrificing, clean cleaning off all the blood, uh, teaching, and they're they're wa walking all over the place. They're 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 busy, busy, busy bees in the temple. The priests are profaning the Sabbath by working laboriously. Uh, they are working hard. They're working very hard on the Sabbath and they're profaning the Sabbath by working on the Sabbath. But they're blameless. How? Because it is work that is done in the name of the Lord. 
It's work that's done in the name of the Lord. It's not just about them. So we see here, there's a deeper meaning regarding this that, uh, of, you know, what it means to work and live in the name of the Lord. That in everything that you do, in eating or drinking, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God. In everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God. So, when you're working now, then, in the name of the Lord, what about those, for example, who have problem with, and, I'm, and please don't misunderstand me, I'm not mocking, in any way, shape, or form, I'm not mocking. I don't mean to offend. I'm just, I'm just, want people to think. This is my job, is to get people to think. As I show you, okay, look, this is what the Bible says. This is what it is saying. Now, think about this. What about individuals who say you shouldn't mow, the, mow your lawn on the Sunday? Shouldn't mow your lawn on the Sunday. Shouldn't wash the car on Sunday. You shouldn't go to town on Sunday. Well, if that's your conviction on it, okay, that's your conviction. But what is convicting you? True doctrinal uh, do doctrinal understanding or is it a form of legalism that you think that abstaining from these things makes you more holy makes you more mystically special to god makes you more obedient to the lord why why are you doing what you're doing why are you abstaining from what you're abstaining why what reason Because God does not say you can't do anything on the Sabbath. He doesn't say that. And um, then just just for sake of argument, there are the, there are the Sabbath keepers. Not the, the special mystical Sabbath keepers. Well, let's take a look at this. Because, well, regarding the legalistic Sabbath keepers, yeah. I've abstained from all things fun this week. Praise him. But uh, let's take a look at what the Bible actually says in regarding the Sabbath. Now, regarding the whole Sabbath law thing, many people don't actually quite understand it. Because, firstly, you got to look at the kind of person also that's trying to emphasize the whole separation and that mystical legalistic hold uh, of the sabbath you should basically just lock your way in a stone monastery for the whole day and sit in the corner and stare at the ants and do nothing because that makes you more holy that if you look at the kind of person that's trying to emphasize the sabbath keeping these individuals generally are the law keepers that their whole salvation, their whole Christianity is based on law keeping. And that they think that we're bound by law. And that if you don't keep the law, uh, somehow that jeopardizes your salvation. So if I mow the lawn on Sunday, I guess that means I lost my salvation. Okay. We're not bound by law at all. So I got some things written down I just want to share with you. So as we see in the Bible... 
the tabernacle, the temple of God. Uh, I want to ask you folks a question in the comments. If you could please answer these questions as we go along. Because I just want you to think. All right. Now, as you see in the Bible, the tabernacle, the temple priests, the temple priests, tabernacle priests, did they only worship and serve God one day a week? Or every day? They didn't just serve and worship God on, on their, you know, their Sunday, their Sabbath. That all the rest of the week was for them and they'd do their own thing. And then on the Sabbath day, all the priests would come together and they'd worship and serve the Lord on that one day. No, but every day. You'll, you'll note that the priests studied scripture, taught the people, conducted sacrificial offerings every single day. Every single day. Not to mention, also, if you do a study on the scriptures of the, regarding the priests and the priestly order and all this, you will also note that the Bible actually uh, uh, references there was also what was called a night watch. A night watch. A Levitical night watch of priests. Where uh, during the day you have the day watch. Where these ones would go and they do all the sacrifices and all the stuff and they do all the work. And then their shift would be over when the day is over. Then the night watch priests would come in. What was their job? Clean everything. They would clean everything, prepare everything, and get everything ready for the day. And then they, then they would finish and the day shift would come in. So there were priests in the tabernacle and temple working 24-7-365. Jesus said, whenever ye are gathered together, whenever, whenever ye are gathered together, do this in my name. He emphasized any day, any time around the clock, we can gather together for worship. And also, by the way, just want to throw this one out there just to really stir things up. For all the Sabbath keepers out there, this will really make, make them start reading. Did you know if you actually do a study on the commandments uh, regarding specifically the Ten Commandments, you'll note that every single one of the Ten Commandments is repeated in the New Testament except for one. The Sabbath law. The Sabbath law is not repeated in the New Testament as a law that the church should uh, adhere to. The Sabbath law is the only one in the, in the, of the laws that is not repeated in the New Testament as something to be observed because, well, Christ replaces the commandment by the new covenant in him. The Bible says we are a royal priesthood, as Peter writes, living temples, as Paul states, believer priests that serve the Lord every day, worship him every day, and not just one day. Our worship and gathering together can be any day of the week. Every day is our Sabbath. We are living temples and believer priests serving God as the Old Testament priests did, except our sacrifices and offerings are spiritual. The Sabbath law was done away with and changed by Christ in the New Testament. So give that some thought. And if anyone uh, still wants to fight on that one, well, Ezekiel 20 verse 12 
Moreover, also I give them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified them. It's a sign. We don't worship the Sabbath. We worship God. The Sabbath is a sign, a day of remembrance. But when are we supposed to remember the Lord? Colossians 2.16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Let no man therefore judge you regarding the Sabbath days. Romans 14, 5 to 6. One man esteemeth one day above another. Let uh, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the, to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. So. When we take a look at these things, we see what the Lord has given, and we don't worship the day. We worship God. So we see, as we are believer priests, living temple, serving the Lord in everything that we do, so then does that, would that not then therefore mean, and here is my question, How that on the Sabbath days, the priests of the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. Would that not then therefore mean that's us? And every day is our Sabbath. And technically we profane it, but we are blameless because we are serving the Lord in our work. When we work, when we do anything, go anywhere, do anything, we are working in the name of the Lord. And in the name of the Lord, we are then blameless. So just a thought. What do you think? But again, like I said, if you don't agree, that's your choice. That's your liberty. Yeah, that's your freedom in Christ. That's your liberty in Christ. If you, in the name of the Lord, would rather want to restrict yourself and abstain from from from. from more freedom in this more liberty that's entirely up to you but what i'm just showing you is that you don't have to restrict yourself that in everything that you do on any day every day day and night is our sabbath and we're working in the name of the lord there you go for the son of man is lord even of the sabbath days but the Pharisees see it. But the Pharisees. And they restrict themselves. Like this picture of the grumpy cat. They restrict themselves. And it makes them grumpy. And makes them, makes them bitter. Makes them angry. And they see others who are living in freedom. Others who are living in grace. Others are living in freedom. And it upsets them. It bothers them. Because... They don't feel that you should be free. They feel that somehow, from their view, in their mind, we have to bind ourselves to law. But what does the Bible say about this? We're no longer under the law, but under grace. So are you saying that, that the Ten Commandments are no longer applicable? I, I sarcastic because these are the kind of arguments people use against me. 
Well, 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 does it? Well, let's look at that. Does that mean, then, that the Ten Commandments are no longer applicable? Well, no, that's stupid. But rather, what, it, what does it mean? Since we're no longer under the law, but under grace, and we take a look at the, the, the dispensational change of the old covenant was replaced by the new covenant in Jesus Christ, and then we see the law is satiated by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're no longer under the condemnation, the weight of the judgment of the law. We are under grace. But the law, which was the schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ and bring us to the knowledge of sin, is no longer our schoolmaster, but was replaced by a new teacher, a new master, which is the Holy Spirit of God. And now by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit uses the law no longer as a judgment and a weight and condemnation, but but as a guide as a help and as you take a look for example as reminders of these things thou shalt not lie thou shalt not steal thou shalt, uh, thou shalt not covet and all the rest of it thou shalt not take the name of the lord thy god and we see these things see that those things are sin this helps us to understand the distinction of righteousness and unrighteousness just more but we are not bound under the weight the the judgment and the curse of the law that's what it means by we're no longer under law, but under grace. So the Ten Commandments still do apply because it is the designation of, of understanding the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. Now, but what about the Sabbath? Was changed. It was changed. The Sabbath law was changed. Just as Jesus Christ changed the Old Covenant. There was the Old Covenant... And Jesus says, this is now the new covenant in my blood. In other places, he says, you have heard of old time, it said this, but I say unto you, and he would change or modify certain laws and commandments throughout the gospels. How many times did Jesus say, you have heard of old time, it said this, but I say unto you, and he altered it. Who has authority to alter, change, modify, affect the commandments and the law and the covenant? God. So you'll see that Jesus changed things. We even see in Acts chapter 15, and it seemed good unto the Holy Ghost and to us to place upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And regarding the laws. Now one more argument here. In Acts 15, you'll see it seemed good to the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the living God, speaking through the apostles in Acts chapter 15, did away with the law, did away with all of those things and did away with uh, the, the, the need to have to keep these things because it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to place upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, four things. And the Sabbath law is nowhere in there. Furthermore, one more point and I'll move on. I always like to make sure to hammer down the coffins really well. And what we see as well the Lord says in his word, in the scriptures, that if you uh, that if you see yourself as a debtor to, uh, to keep the law, you're a debtor to do all of the law. You always notice that these law-keeping, pharisaical, legalistic types are always hyper-cherry-picking what laws they want to keep and what laws they don't want to keep. But the Bible says that if you're keeping yourself to the law, you're a debtor to do all of the law. And there's over 630 laws that you're supposed to keep perfectly, flawlessly at every single waking moment for the rest of your natural life. Good luck with that. 
because as we see that the law is not something that actually was was given for for us to keep because you literally can't keep the law which was the whole point the whole point of the law as given by god was to show that we are virtually incapable of keeping it and that's why we need the uh, we, we need the, the sacrifice that's why we need the sacrifices to to pay for, pay for this to show that how wretched we are how fallen we are how wicked and sinful we are and we need that substitutionary sacrifice the law shows there must be a sacrifice for sin and the law shows how we're sinners because we can't keep it the whole point of the law is that you can't keep it. These delusional Pharisees somehow think that they can keep the law. Oh, we're supposed to keep the law. Good luck with that. Because even the apostles say in Acts 15 that, that neither we nor our forefathers could bear. They couldn't keep it. What makes you think you can? <laughs> Are you saying you're better than them? When the Pharisees saw it, again, looking through the lens of their view, their understanding of their of their twisted, corrupted ideology, they think that they're holy because they think they're keeping the law. But then Jesus shows them up again and again and again, showing them how they're sinful, how they're wicked, how they're lying, lying, uh, snaky hypocrites. We see even the one the time when they bring the woman caught in adultery which they even corrupted that because you're supposed to bring both individuals not just the one and if you can't have both then you can't judge the one but they brought the woman anyways and she was caught in the in the act in the very act okay where's the guy that uh, some speculate it was a pharisee but anyways they bring this woman throw her down in the midst and say moses stated in the law that such should be stoned but what say you and jesus bent down with his finger wrote in the sand well what was he writing when was the other time we see the finger of God writing the law? So I firmly believe Jesus is writing the Ten Commandments. Because it says, and then starting from the eldest to the youngest, they started walking away convicted in their own heart. Thou shalt not lie. Have you lied? You broke the law. You're, you don't keep the law. You can't keep the law. Have you, ever, have you ever committed adultery? Have you ever stolen? You honor your father and mother? And writing down all the commandments and they started all walking away. Jesus showing you can't keep the law. You can't keep the law. The law is meant for something else. Now, what was the point of the Sabbath law? To help people to understand, to remember about, about giving all things over to the Lord, serving the Lord, honoring the Lord, that the, that the Lord should be in all your thoughts and everything that you do. It's a day of rest. But as you see, our rest is in Christ. Our rest is in Christ, which is every day, not just one day. Our rest is in Christ, and we serve the Lord in, in our rest, in Christ, serve the Lord, walk with the Lord, and everything that we do, do all to the glory of God. But the Pharisees don't understand that. All they say, all they see is the base principle, surface value of the literality of the law. They don't see the spiritual effect. All they see is the physical carryings out, i.e. the religion of it. Religion is the physical carryings out of one's belief of faith. That's what religion is. But that's all that the Pharisee sees, is the physical carryings out. 
they don't see the spiritual benefit, the spiritual aspect. And Jesus, that's why Jesus says, have you not read? Have you not read? Do you not understand what you're reading? Do you not see this? You see, the Pharisees think, think the physical is so special that what they, what they would have done is they would have condemned David by refusing to give him bread and let David starve to death because we must protect the bread. And they don't see that the soul, the person, is more important than bread. That's why God did not condemn David for eating the showbread. Now, technically, the bread is meant for the priest, but we see a grace, mercy. A grace, a mercy. Verse 6. Look at verse 6. But I say unto you, who has authority? Who has authority to alter the law? Who has authority to change the principles, to change these things? Look at this. Verse 6. But I say unto you, who is Jesus? Jesus is the most high God manifested in the flesh. Jesus says, but I say unto you that in this place, what place? The world church synagogue a field wheat field in this place but also it doesn't show gestures now it doesn't show gestures it doesn't say say that there was a gesture but i just want to to put this in here as my opinion for whatever that's worth that i think as in my opinion, when Jesus says that in this place, I think he's pointing at ourselves. Because we see that, as the scriptures say, we are the temple of the living God, that the Spirit of God dwells in us. That in this place, one is greater than the temple. As we see, we are the living temples. People, the servants of God, the Spirit of God dwells in more important than buildings more important than things more important than loaves of bread more important than the than the, the the lawn that needs cutting more important than washing the car more important than anything else you could wind up doing on any other day because we are the servants of the most high god priests of the temple priests of god living temples of god servants of the living god and he goes with us in everything that we do so therefore, this is why we should in everything that we do, even in eating and drinking, do also the glory of God. Work in the name of the Lord and thus are blameless. Does that make sense? Do you see that? You can disagree if you want. I'd be interested to see see your, your view on this. But there's just something to think about in this. Because when you put this in context of what Jesus is talking about, what the Pharisees are doing, where they're coming from, where Christ is coming from, take a look at the whole thing. We're not bound. We're free. We're free to serve the Lord. We're free to work in the name of the Lord. We're free to live in the name of the Lord. We're free to go do whatever needs to be done in the name of the Lord. Just That's my thoughts on that. Now you'll note something. In another passage where they were trying to condemn Jesus for and his disciples for working on the Sabbath, Jesus even points out their hypocrisy. He says, which of you, if he, if he had a mule or a sheep, 
fall into a ditch. Would he not on the Sabbath day go and rescue it out of the ditch? And we also see in another one where Jesus healed the, hand, the, the withered hand of that poor man on the Sabbath in the synagogue. In the very synagogue on the Sabbath. And they got mad at him because he worked on the Sabbath by healing the hand of the withered man. The withered hand of the, the poor man. And Jesus healed his hand on the Sabbath. And that's work. And they condemned him for it. You see how the Pharisee twists the scriptures. Doesn't see the spiritual. All they can see is the physical. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And that they think the doing and the not doing is what pleases God. And they miss the heart. They miss the spirit. They miss the spiritual aspect. All they can see is the physical. The Pharisee can only see the physical. That's why I hate Phariseeism. But when it comes down to the doing and not doing, what, did the Bible, what does the Bible say? What does God's word say regarding everything? Now take a look at the meanings, the reason why the Lord gave that. Just some things to think about. Have you not read? Okay, let's take a look. Now Jesus finishes up telling them. Verse 7. But if ye had known what this meaneth, regarding everything he's saying previously, if you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. What is sacrifice? Where we sacrifice things deliberately in the name of the Lord, thinking that that will make us more holy. Rather mercy. Lord will have, or rather, rather uh, wants mercy. I have mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. The guiltless. God sees them as guiltless. But we can see them as guilty. As the disciples are guiltless, they were innocent, but the Pharisees are condemning them. Can we wind up doing that to others? Just think about that. He finishes up telling them. Verse 8, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And, and he left them, and they had nothing to say in return. The Pharisees had nothing to say. He left them speechless. They didn't know how to respond. The Pharisee is left speechless when you show them the meaning of mercy and grace. There's grace enough. There's grace enough. When he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. He finished up with them. And he went directly to their synagogue on the Sabbath day. Went to their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had a, a hand withered. Well, I got ahead of myself. It had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? There it is again. It's just... I mean, how blind... How absolutely blind do you have to be? How deluded and how, how blind do you have to be? That to think that 
the Sabbath day is such a special, high, mystical, holy day. You literally can't do anything that even working miracles because it's not. But but the, the miracle is not even my miracle. It's not the power is not from us. The power is from God. God is the one that's doing it. Do you not? Do you not think that that if God was going to condemn working miracles, he would restrain his power so that such things couldn't be done on the Sabbath? Because technically he'd be contradicting himself. But the miracles happen anyway, so doesn't that kind of show you that God is blessing this? Nobody said the, the legalists were intelligent. exactly robert logic <laughs> logic fails them they don't see it they can't see it because they're not looking through the eyes of god they're not thinking by the word of god they're seeing by their own eyes they're thinking by their own reasoning that, that they have turned the faith into their own religion you teach for doctrines you teach for doctrine doctrine you teach for doctrine the traditions of men <laughs> commentaries <clears throat> so we see uh where the pharisees have even twisted this that they they don't see miracles as being from god somehow i guess their god contradicts himself or something i don't know there was a man which had a hand withered a withered hand all withered up i guess kind of like you could say arthritic an arthritic hand he can't do anything it's all completely seized up and it's just he can't move he can't do anything with it and they asked jesus is it lawful to heal by the supernatural power of god himself is it lawful to heal on the sabbath days that they might accuse him because that shows that in their mind already they have they have determined that even working miracles i guess hold up my brain's thinking um i guess that means as well i've just thought of it to them god restrains himself from working on the sabbath because if we're not supposed to do anything i guess that means god does it well god rested on the sabbath day oh so that means that god doesn't work at all on the sabbath day so that so then if you are working miracles you are making god work on the sabbath day <gasps> Isn't Phariseeism stupid? That they might accuse him. Because they had already determined that doing anything on the Sabbath day is a great, horrible, horrible, heinous sin. And even working the power of God, you're making God sin by working miracles on the Sabbath day because that's somehow sin. So therefore God is sinning. I don't know. Verse 11. And Jesus said to them. Now. 
What it doesn't say here, and I forget which gospel it is, which other gospel it is, but in one of the other gospels, there's the, there's the, uh, the, the correlating passage where it also refers to this event here, the man with the withered hand. And it says that when they asked him this, Jesus, it says, looked on them with anger. Jesus looked on them with anger because they would restrict the very power of God. That they would refuse to help the poor and the needy. They would refuse to bless in the name of the Lord. They would corrupt the faith by their own traditions. They are children of their father, the devil, and they have not the love of God in, God in them. They are nothing but egotistical, self-righteous, self-conceited, pharisaical, legalistic, law-based, graceless, merciless individuals. And Jesus looked on them with anger about this. And look what Jesus says in verse 11. And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? Would you just leave your sheep in the pit to suffer for the whole day? They say, I'm sorry, I can't help you until tomorrow. Will you not lay hold of it and lift it up? How much, how much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. And look what Jesus says about us. We are his sheep. And then he said to the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth and was restored whole like as the other. But when the Pharisees went, but then went the Pharisees out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. Phariseeism, legalism is destructive. It destroys. It destroys grace. It destroys mercy. It destroys the simplicity of the faith. It destroys the spiritual aspect. It completely destroys the gospel. It changes God. It takes us back to the old covenant. It, it brings us back under the condemnation of law. It restructures the entire faith. Phariseeism, legalism, destroys. It is destructive. Jesus condemned it. He preached against it. He taught against it. He wants us to, to, to get away from that as much as possible. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, what about things that we should abstain from? Things that we should and should not do. What about this then? Does that mean we can go and literally go do, be, have whatever we want? That grace may abound? No. You see, unlike what the Pharisees say, as some slanderously report of us that that that, 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 that let us sin, that grace may abound, they slanderously report that against us, and they still do to this day. And uh, they try to use that, that argument. Does that mean you, you just believe in Jesus, go do whatever you want? No. 
What I'm saying is that we believe on the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, by belief alone, according to the scriptures. His spirit indwells in us, and he will teach us the difference. As you see in John 16, 8, let's go over there just for a second. John 16, verse 8. Regarding the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, and when he has come, he will reprove the world. To reprove means to instruct, guide, guard, convict. And he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He will teach you all things and cause you to be in remembrance of everything which I have told you. The Spirit of God will teach us. He'll instruct us. He'll help us to understand. That the Spirit of God within us will convict us of righteousness, convict us of unrighteousness by the Word of God. We don't restrain ourselves. He is the restrainer. We do not create law. He is the law and he teaches. He teaches grace. He teaches mercy according to his law. It helps us to understand it better. We do not restrain ourselves. But rather we go to the word of God and sit at the feet of Jesus. And he shows us and teaches us the difference between the holy and the profane. We, and we ask him according to his word, according to his law, about these things. He brings us to remembrance. He brings these things to remembrance in our minds. He helps us to understand. The word of God is our law. The whole book. Not just the Ten Commandments. The whole book. Everything the Lord has said is law. And we bind ourselves to the word of God. Not to denominational distinctives. Not to catechismic ideologies. Not to, not to the specificities of commentaries. Not to man's ideas and feelings and opinions. But to just what the word of God says about these things. The search it out. Stop trying to interpret it from your own reasoning. Look at what it says. Correlate it. That's what it means. And you'll see that the theme throughout the word of God is grace. And he has something to say about everything. That there, there is a principle. There's a doctrine. There's a teaching. There's, there's a, there is theology for everything and anything in our entire lives in the Word of God. Stop trying to figure it out yourself. Just go to the, go to the book. See what it says. What does it say about about our day to day? The kind of things that we should listen to, shouldn't listen to, should should say, shouldn't say, should do, shouldn't do. It it tells us and why because it has a spiritual aspect it's not the the doing and the not doing well well caffeine caffeine is a drug coffee tea and chocolate have caffeine in it and caffeine is a drug Sugar is a drug, is an addictive substance. So is caffeine. And because it's a drug, well, if I just abstain from all caffeine, like some religions, like, like uh, Seventh-day Adventists, and uh, as a Jehovah's Witnesses too, if I abstain from caffeine, that makes me more mystically holy. No, that's stupid. 
So it's not the abstaining or whatever of things. Well, if I don't mow the lawn on Sunday, that makes me more special to God. This, sup this superstitious, legalistic, mystic nonsense has got to end. And it's corrupting the churches. It corrupts the saints. Well, if I, if I when I go to pray, if I put... If I put a, a prayer shawl on my head while I pray, that makes my prayers more special. Really? Really? These, this mystic su this superstitious nonsense. That, that abstaining and, and the obtaining of the, the things in and of themselves somehow make you more special. You've missed it completely. Just think about it. You're destroying your faith. Then, sa then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. In the face of the Pharisees. Now think about this in just for a moment. This poor man in, in the synagogue there comes in. And he has this twisted up withered hand. He has no idea what he's walking into. And we're not told how big this synagogue was. How many people were there? He walks in and in the middle of an argument, a uh, heated argument that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. They're chewing him out and they're all mad. They're over there huffing and puffing in the corner. And Jesus is looking on them with anger and they're debating right in the middle of the And he, This guy walks in. And the Pharisees said, look, they, they know, because they know what Jesus is going to do. As it says, that they, and they knew what Jesus would do, so they asked him this. And then Jesus tells them off, looks on them with anger, tells them off, calls them hypocrites, and then tells this guy, stretch out your hand. And so this man, in front of everybody, in front of the Pharisees and everything, Look at looks at Jesus, looks at the Pharisees, goes like this, and his hand is restored whole, right, right in the face of all the Pharisees. What do we also see in this? What do we also see in this? One last point. I think I say that a lot. One last point. What do we see in that? Don't fear them. Don't fear the Pharisees. Ignore them. They have no idea what they are saying. They have no idea what they're doing. They've completely corrupted the word of God. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they are. I don't care how many degrees, how many diplomas, how many years of training and teaching and schooling. I don't care if they're the, the most high grand Pumbaa of whatever Bible society. I don't care. They have no idea about grace and mercy. They've corrupted the, the law. They've corrupted the scriptures. They've corrupted grace. Don't even fear them. Go do what you need to do and completely ignore them. Ignore them. Stretch forth thine hand in their faces. That's what we see by that. Live the faith fearless. Live the faith fearless. As the apostles said to the Sanhedrin, we ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. The Pharisees are the same ones 
one more point the pharisees are also the same ones that that would that would condemn witnessing to the pagans and the heathens and sinners now what do you what do you mean what are you saying jesus sat with publicans and sinners he ate and drank with them and the pharisees condemned him for that he saw them to witness to them to show them the truth and they got mad at jesus for, for witnessing to the sinners And Jesus sat and ate and drank with them in such a way that they wanted to sit with him and listen to him and hear what he had to say. And the Pharisees condemned them. The Pharisees will not go to the places where the sinners are. The Pharisees hide away in their own home, maintaining their own self-righteousness, and will not go out into the world to the sinners to preach to them the grace of God. You see that? Not only does Phariseeism and legalism destroy the faith, it destroys the simplicity of the faith, it destroys the church, it destroys, it destroys the, your idea of God, it twists up and corrupts the scriptures, but it also restrains and chokes out evangelism. It chokes out evangelism. That if the Pharisee actually does on a blue moon go out into the public to witness what kind of witnessing is it it's a form of witnessing that i absolutely hate i hate with a passion pharisaical evangelism you know why i have heard it so many times i've seen it so many times it is absolutely disgusting pharisaical evangelism is that turn or burn evangelism well all you see is the placards covered in the fire pictures about the wrath of god god is angry at you you're all gonna burn in hell you're all sinners you, you need to repent 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 you don't do this don't do that don't do this don't do that repent god is angry. you're all gonna burn it's a turn or burn evangel there's no grace there's no mercy there's no love there's no understanding of the gospel according to scripture it's just all wrath all judgment all hell all fire it, it's it's not the gospel according to scripture and you'll note that these pharisaical ones are generally the ones that teach that, that the salvation is also a quasi-works-based system. Think about it. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, uh, Robert, it's, no, it's not just charismatic. There's many reformed groups that are like that too many there's there's some in the charismatic um there's some in the reform group as well um it, it's a pervasive cancer that has reached out into many different denominational distinctives uh this pervasive cancer of pharisaical legalism uh lordship salvation uh where you have to get yourself uh, you have to seek after sanctification before you can seek consecration. You have to get yourself right before the Lord before you can even get saved. Uh, the idea that also that you need to maintain fruit to keep yourself right or else you could lose salvation or you weren't saved in the first place. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's the idea of that works in some form are a requirement to earn, to gain, maintain, to keep or self-atone. 
Lordship Salvation is a works-based system. And as you see, Phariseeism is a works-based system to seek sanctification before God. That's what it is. Phariseeism legalism is, it is a works-based system that I work at to earn my sanctification before God. Now, I've preached on this before. I've done a whole message on this. I have my video on this, uh, my message on uh, sanctification. Is it something uh, that we have or something that we have to strive for? And uh, as you see in the Word of God, sanctification is not in ourselves. Now, this if you haven't heard me talk about this before, you're about to have your entire world shattered. Okay? The Word of God flat out teaches. And no, there are not different forms of sanctification as i've had many different reformed individuals try to tell me well there's the sanctification of jesus and then there's the sanctification that we obtain no there's only one just as there's only one consecration there's only one sanctification and as you see in first corinthians chapter one first corinthians chapter one verse 30 but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is, is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He is our sanctification because we have no good in us. We have no goodness in us. We have no righteousness of our own. We cannot work our own righteousness because we have none. We cannot be good because we have no goodness. All goodness, all righteousness is imputed to us from Jesus Christ, and it is his righteousness that we work, his sanctification that we work, not ours. We don't have to have to strive at sanctification before God. You can't lose sanctification just as you can't lose consecration. But the Pharisee sees, sees, takes these things away from God, imputes upon you your own righteousness, your own goodness, that you must maintain at some level to earn favor with God. Pharisee. Phariseeism takes the sanctification process away from Jesus Christ, puts on ourselves. In fact, it's not even a process. The moment we're saved, we are sanctified before God. We are redeemed. We are made righteous by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not a process. As Pastor John Piper, that, that heretic now, he says salvation is earned at the end of your life because it's a process of sanctification. Yes, John Piper. Salvation is a process. It's a process by sanctification is what Pastor John Piper says. It's not a process. Sanctification is immediate at the, at the moment of salvation. But the Pharisee uh, uh, turns sanctification into a works-based system process. It corrupts the faith. Phariseeism legalism corrupts the faith, it corrupts the simplicity, it corrupts the scriptures, it corrupts God, it corrupts you, it corrupts sanctification, changes righteousness, imputes righteousness upon yourself of your own, your own goodness, your own righteousness, that is then a, a, a workspace system you have to work to earn to gain favor. It changes the whole faith. You see it? 
Do you see it? But when we strip everything, everything from ourselves, we have nothing to do with the whole deal but believe. All we are required to do is believe. When we believe on the Son of God, when we believe on Jesus Christ, when we believe on Him, of His work, His goodness, His righteousness, it's all of Him. When we believe on Him for salvation from our sins, He imputes His righteousness, His spirit, His merit, His virtue, His work of everything of Him upon us. He holds us he keeps us, He advocates for us, He intercedes for us, He mediates for us, He teaches us, He instructs us, He convicts us, He holds us, He guides us, He educates us, because we believe. It's by grace, the unmerited favor of God. Nothing in this entire faith is merited by us not even favor not even favor because we have his favor because we have his son but pharisee pharisaical legalism strips that you got to earn his favor by abstaining and maintaining and keeping and working and slaving and and living like a monk but jesus said you're free those whom the Son hath set free are free indeed. We are free. We are free. And, and when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that by His Spirit He will instruct us and show us how we have. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't mean we get to go and live in sin and do whatever we want. It means you won't want to. But if we do, he will catch us when we fall. And he will lift us up. He'll cleanse us and strengthen us. He holds us. He will never cast us away. He will never deny us. He will never restrain his blessing upon us because we are his children where sin abound grace did much more abound he pours more grace more love upon those who struggle the most and he helps them he doesn't he doesn't uh, cast them away whom the, those whom the lord loves he chastises he disciplines as parental discipline he loves us so much that's why he disciplines not because he hates us as an angry but because he loves us he wants to correct us he wants us to walk in newness of life and righteousness of him he wants, us, he wants us to be blessings unto others as he is unto us. But Phariseeism misses this. They change the whole faith into you. What you do. Because it's like you're a god. Because look, look how good and holy you are. Look what you've attained by your goodness, what you've strived for. Look how holy and mystical I am because I don't do this, I don't do that. It's heresy. 
This is the whole point why Jesus told this story about the Pharisee and the publican that went to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee uh, looked down at the poor publican, would not encourage, would not help, would not even pray for, but mocked and scoffed and put down because he saw himself better than everyone else. And that's the whole point, pride. Phariseeism, legalism is pride. It's pride. It's the religious system of self. Self-righteous, self-conceited pride. Look how holy I am. Look what I did. Look what I don't do. Look how I abstain. Aren't I special? Look how I pray. Look how much I've achieved. That's what it's all about. It's all about self because the, the Pharisee loves the adulation of men. So what can we do? We can examine our motives. Examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Are you in the faith, the faith, or are you in a faith? Your faith, your religion, of your system, of your God, of, of, your, of your orthodoxy. Or is it the faith? Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. You see yourself as a better Christian than others because, well, I go to this denomination. Are all others go different ones? Well, they're not Christians like I am. <laughs> Pharisee. All those who have believed on the Lord God Jesus Christ by grace to faith to belief alone doesn't matter what, what color or stripe they are. If they've believed upon the gospel that is according to scripture, they're a born-again Christian, a child of God just like you. And how dare you curse them? How dare you look down at them? How dare you think yourself better than them? Because as the scriptures say, judge not lest ye also be judged. For when thou judgest, thou doest the same. You're no better than them. You think because you go into a system that was, that was started by some man, based uh, a an order according to his ideology? You know that in the Bible it says some same of Paul, some same of Cephas, some same of Apollos. Are we not all one under Christ? This divisiveness, this discord, this disunity. Sowing discord amongst the brethren is a curse of God and is Phariseeism. You're Christian because of the gospel you believe on, not because of the church denominational distinctives you, you, you adhere to. What does the Bible say? What does the word of God say? Think about these things. Now, I know what I'm saying today is going to offend a lot of people. And I don't care. I'm not going to be a withered hand anymore. What does the Bible say? Stretch out your hand. Show them. Show them. Show them how the Lord blesses, how the Lord works. Show them the grace and mercy of God. Show them how the Lord works with sinners, how the Lord works with the brethren. Show them how the Lord works in every day. Show them what the Lord actually says, what the Lord actually shows. What does the word of God say? Don't be a Pharisee. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware. Beware.
that in this place, one is greater than the temple. In this place, in Christ, serving the Lord. When you believe upon the Lord God, it doesn't matter what day it is. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter who you're around. Bring the Lord with you in everything that you do. Jesus went, went, to, went to the places where the sinners were. He sat and ate and drank with publicans and sinners. I want you to think about this one just for a moment. He didn't sit with them to be like them. Rather, he went to them because he had something to bring to them. Something that they needed. But he brought it in such a way. He sat and ate and drank with them in such a way. He spoke with them in such a way that they, the sinners, the harlots and the liars and the thieves and the publicans, the wretched sinners, they wanted to sit with him. He spoke with them in such a way that they wanted to listen to him. Think about that one. And the Pharisees curse Jesus for that. The Pharisees curse the doing of that. How dare you lower yourself uh, to, to go to the world like that? How could you go to their pla or places where they are? What kind of places would that be? Where did the sinners gather? Where do the sinners gather? Where would you go to find sinners? To sit and eat and drink with them. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just saying. Think about it. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We are in the world. We are not of the world. We are to seek them out. And bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do you think about that? The Pharisees condemned him for it. Not just him, they condemned his disciples too. Because the disciples of Jesus Christ went with him. And they sat in the same places, ate the same thing, drank the same thing. And taught the same thing. The Pharisees, the legalists, get mad. The religious, the hyper-religious, where it's all about the physical. They can't see the spiritual. They can't see the spiritual benefit. Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth. And it was restored whole like as the other. We're going to wrap that up there. What's your thoughts? What's your thoughts on this? So, the thinking that the doing the not doing makes me special to God is absolute mystic nonsense. Mystic nonsense. What makes me special before God is my belief. My trust in the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I am made special. By Christ. I am made righteous by the righteousness of Christ. I am sanctified 
present tense fully. It's not a process. Because he is my sanctification. He is my goodness. Because I can do nothing right. I do nothing right. I have no goodness in me. I'm literally, virtually incapable of doing good on my own. Get that through your skull. You, me, are literally incapable of doing any good in and of our own that would be acceptable to God. We can't. So what makes you think you can work at your own sanctification? The Pharisee takes goodness from God and places it on themselves and makes themselves good in and of their own. Some things to think about. As you can tell, I hate Phariseeism. <laughs> I hate that religious puppetry, that that egotistical, just maniacal puppetry. It's all it is. They're, they're pretending to be a religious puppet. And Jesus mocks them. He talks about them, how they go in their big fancy robes. And, uh, and you know, in Judaism, uh, what they, back then, uh, what they were supposed to do is on their, on their clothes, they would have a border of blue around the hem of their garments or on the sleeves and the bottom hem. They put a little border of blue. And so that when they would, <clears throat> excuse me, when they would move and do stuff, they would see the blue and the blue is to remind them of the Lord because blue is the color of the remembrance of the Lord is the Lord's color. And, uh, and uh, so the Pharisee, to make themselves more special, they would actually enlarge the border. They would make it really, really big blue borders on their garments. So look how much I remember God as they're going like, they're nothing but the, the hypocritical, pharisaical puppets. That's all they are. And Jesus had talked about this, how they enlarge the borders of the garments and how they pray loud in the marketplace to draw attention. They blow trumpets before them as they go their way to draw attention. It's all about them. Look how special, special we are. And Jesus mocked them, told them off, and sh showed how they're completely wrong and don't be like that. It's not about the doing and not doing. It's not about, it's not about the physical. It's about the spiritual aspect of this. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are made a priest. You are the living temple. And everything that you do, you do in the name of the Lord, for the Lord, by the Lord. And he will bless in you if I'm blameless and guiltless. That's what it says. And if this message offends you, like I said, please bring your Bible and show me from the word of God without contradicting any other set point of scripture, show me from the word of God how I'm wrong. Okay. There we go. So in this, if there's one thing you can take from this, one thing you can take from this, what's the meaning of grace? Show me the meaning of grace. 
Now show me how you can bind yourself by law. All right. So with that, I wrapped it up there. Thank you so much for joining in. If you appreciate these studies, you appreciate this, please give this a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon so we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons and tons of other goodies and content and uh, different uh, walkthroughs of different books of the Bible. Um, make sure you check it all out. We even have a whole playlist on the book of Revelation, which I know a lot of people are really interested in. Make sure you check that one out as well as our website christiancoffeetime.ca we have links to all other platforms and goodies and uh, free downloadable gospel track pdfs make sure you get yourself a bunch of those as well and uh, get busy about serving the lord and fear nothing fear nothing don't fear the pharisees don't fear the the godless pagans fear nothing serve the lord in fear and trembling we are called to do his work he is our boss he's the one that calls the shots not people we follow what his word says not man's ideologies so be free serve the lord in freedom and liberty serve the lord in joy in the oil of gladness serve the lord we don't serve men we serve the lord so with that thanks for joining it and uh God bless you folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.